Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. You may be seated. Welcome. Good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful Lord's Day morning on the third... Sunday of Eastertide. Welcome those in the house. Welcome those online. Today I want to preach on showings. John 21, 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. John's gospel gives us three resurrection showings of Jesus to his disciples. First in the upper room on Easter, and then a week later again in the upper room, and the third time by the Sea of Galilee. Our gospel reading for the third Sunday of Easter is this third showing of Jesus to his disciples. I'm using the word showing instead of appearance because our risen Lord has something to show us. Jesus doesn't appear just to prove that he's alive. He appears to show us something deeper. I'm also using the word showings because I like the way that Julian of Norwich uses it. You know about her? I mention her frequently. She was a 14th century English mystic and theologian who in the year 373, when she was about 30 years of age, she was dying of bubonic plague. And in her near-death experience, she had 16 appearances of Jesus to her that she called showings. Miraculously, Julian of Norwich did not die. And she recovered. And eventually she gave a theological report and interpretation of her showings. The 16 times that Jesus appeared to her over several days as she lay near death and showed her things. Uh, this book is Revelations of Divine Love. Rowan Williams, who is a former Archbishop of Canterbury and one of the preeminent theologians of our day, said that Revelations of Divine Love is the most important work of Christian reflection in the English language. Whew, that's high praise from an important person. You are at least familiar with one line from the 13th showing. And that's when Jesus, according to Julian Norwich, tells her that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. That's what we mean by apocatastasis, the restoration of all manner of things. This is a eschatological hope. 
When we use that line, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. We don't use that as a little trite aphorism to cheer somebody up in the immediate moment of their pain. That doesn't mean that we won't pass through sorrow and grief because we will. But it means that our Christian hope has an eschatological end that is finally all things made well. The greatest revelations of divine love for all of us will come from showings of Jesus. And showings are not just for first century Galilean disciples or 14th century English mystics. Jesus wants to show himself to you in a way that is unique to you. Would you like that? Would you like Jesus to show himself to you? Would you? Because this is what this sermon's about. All right, well, I think the story of Jesus' third showing to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee can help us. Because it's not a matter of convincing Jesus to show himself to you. That's not really the issue. It has more to do with becoming aware enough to recognize the showings of Jesus. And that's where our gospel reading for today helps us. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and he showed himself in this way. After the resurrection, the disciples have returned to Galilee. They're sort of waiting. Things are uncertain. And this is especially too true for Simon Peter, who had been recognized by Jesus as the chief apostle. But of course, in the critical moment, he had failed Jesus, denying him three times. And so Peter is uncertain about his future. They're sitting around there in Capernaum. There are seven disciples that are together, Simon Peter, James and John, Thomas and Nathaniel, and two others. We'll name them you and me. We'll put ourselves right there in this story. It's toward evening. They've been sitting around for a few days. Peter suddenly says, I'm going fishing. Now, he doesn't mean he's going fishing with rod and reel and out for some relaxation. I mean, I'm not sure what all is implied there. Peter had been a fisherman when Jesus called him to become a fisher of men. That's what he's done with his life for three years. But now everything's tenuous because he has denied his Lord, not once, but thrice. And he doesn't know where he stands. And when he says, I'm going fishing, it might very well mean I'm going back to fishing. Got to do something with your life. Those other six disciples that were with him said, well, we'll go with you. You know, sometimes when people are in, in uh, deep grief, pain, shame, it's not good to leave them totally alone. Sometimes they need their friends with them. 
So the seven of them get in a boat and they fish all night and they catch nothing. They catch nothing all night long. You throw the net out with hope and expectation. You pull it up empty. Ah, hope's dashed. Of course, this does speak to us about something of the condition of Peter's soul. He's very empty within. Verse four, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. All right, it's first light. Sun is just coming up. The boat is a hundred yards from shore. They're still fishing. And Jesus has come. They don't know it's Jesus. They're probably completely unaware that there's anybody on the shore. Until the stranger a hundred yards off says, hey guys, do you have any fish? Maybe they suppose that he's a a fishmonger looking for something for the market. No. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll catch some. That's weird. What? Did he, what did he say? Right. What do we got to lose? So they do. You know the story. They fished all night, caught nothing, and in one cast of the net onto the right side of the boat, they catch the largest catch that's probably ever been caught on the Sea of Galilee. They bothered to count them. 153, it took all seven men to haul it back into the boat. There were two miracles, not only the catch, but the nets didn't break. We fish all night, we catch nothing. Some guy on the shore, throw your net on the right side. 153, the nets don't break. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. If you know that Jesus loves you, it's easier to recognize a showing of Jesus because you're not half afraid of him. The disciple whom Jesus loved said, to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter stripped for work, throws on some clothes and then throws himself into the ocean, into the sea, into the Sea of Galilee. We, we love Peter, don't we? He's ever impetuous. Sometimes for good, sometimes for ill, but he doesn't hesitate. He's not gonna wait for the boat to get ashore with the catch. He throws himself in and swims the 100 yards to shore. There he drags himself up. He's all, he's sopping wet and he's coming to see Jesus. And then, uh-oh. A charcoal fire. Jesus has already got breakfast going. There's, uh, well, there's a charcoal fire. Some fish and bread on the fire. But this, see, it's a charcoal fire. You say, well, what's, what's the deal? Charcoal fire only shows up in the New Testament two times. Here 
And in the courtyard of Caiaphas, it was cold that night, and Peter's there by the charcoal fire. And someone says, aren't you one of his disciples? Me? No, I don't know him. A little time goes by and says, yeah, you are. I saw you in the garden with him. You're one of his disciples. No, it wasn't me. I don't, I don't know the guy. A little while later, several people said, no, you're one of his disciples. Your Galilean accent gives you away. He said, I don't know him. I swear I don't know him. And the rooster crowed. And Peter wept bitterly because three times he denied Jesus around a charcoal fire. And now when the disciple whom Jesus loved said, it's the Lord, Peter swims to meet him and the Lord has recreated the scene of the crime. It has to be addressed. We can't just ignore it. Verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. This is interesting. Apparently, Jesus was not immediately recognizable as the one they had known. We have that common. No one asked him, who are you? They knew it was, but they knew it was the Lord, not by their senses perceiving that this is the one they had known for three years, but by what he was doing. The miraculous catch, the nets don't break. And especially I think how Jesus has already got breakfast for them and he's serving them bread and fish. Here, would you like some more? And Jesus was different, but they knew it was, nobody had to ask who he was because they knew it was the Lord. And they have breakfast together. And then it becomes very formal. When Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, doesn't call him Peter. Jesus is the one that gave Simon the name Peter. It means rock. And he gave it to him when he confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, I'm going to use you to build my church. But he doesn't call him the rock. He doesn't call him Peter. He calls him very formally by the name that he had originally known him. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? You know I love you. Tend my sheep. Simon, son of Jonah, do you really love me? You know it had to be three times. It had to be three times. Oh Lord, that one hurts. You know all things. You know that I love you. I know I failed you, but you also know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he said the most important thing of all, follow me. 
and Peter is restored. That's the third showing, the restoration of Peter. I want us to think for a moment about, just kind of hold this in your mind, three particular resurrection showings of Jesus. First to Mary Magdalene in the garden of Joseph of Arimathea. The second to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And the third, what we've just seen, the showing of Jesus to the seven by the sea. These resurrection showings of Jesus mostly do not occur in religious settings. They occur in a garden, on the road, by the seashore. In these showings, Jesus meets people in their grief, in their disappointment, and in their failure. Interestingly, Jesus does not show himself to be out of place in these showings. Rather, Jesus is so much a part of the place that they could miss it. To a grieving woman in a garden, Jesus shows himself as a gardener. Just what you expect you might find in a garden. To disappointed travelers on the road, Jesus shows himself as a fellow traveler. To frustrated fishermen, Jesus shows himself as a stranger interested in their catch. In all three showings, Jesus, unrecognized, initiates conversation by asking a question. In the garden, woman, why are you weeping? On the road, what are you two talking about? By the lake, do you have any fish? Isn't that what they do in spiritual direction, Perry? You know, Perry's a spiritual director. Spiritual directors don't show up and just start issuing orders. Good spiritual directors ask questions to bring you deeper into your own issues that you can begin to grapple with them. So I find it interesting that Jesus, unrecognized, in all three showings, initiates conversation by asking a question. Why are you weeping? What are you talking about? Do you have any fish? Jesus will probably show himself to you at the point of your deepest distress by raising some questions. In each of these showings, the critical thing is for the people to recognize Jesus. And it's a process. That's the critical thing, is for them to be able to recognize Jesus. That is, in the garden, to perceive Jesus as the gardener. On the road, to perceive Jesus as a fellow traveler. By the lake, to perceive Jesus as the curious stranger. And once they recognize Jesus in the showing, that's when the healing can begin. 
woman, why are you weeping? And then as soon as she recognized, Rabboni, then Jesus heals her grief. What are you two talking about? Oh, we're talking about Jesus and the things that happen. Oh, really? What things? <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's a bold move on Jesus' part. <laughs> well, you know, Jesus of Nazareth. No, tell me more. Well, you know, he was a prophet, mighty indeed. And, you know, we were all in with him and we, we believed that he was going to be the Messiah. But then he got to Jerusalem and they killed him and they put him in a tomb. And then th and it's been three days. And then some women said that the tomb was empty, but we can't figure it out. Oh, really? You can't figure this out. Do you even know the Bible? And the stranger gives him a long Bible study about how the prophets clearly showed that the, that the Messiah had to suffer even die before he entered into his glory. They still don't recognize him, even with a Bible study. Well, I'll be seeing you guys. Oh no, look what time it is. You, no, come on in. You gotta stay with us tonight. It's too late. It's gonna get dark on the road. Come with us. Come on, come on. And they come in and sit at the table. Now it's, now it's time for the meal to begin and Jesus sort of a little breach of protocol. They don't know it's Jesus. Jesus begins to act as the host and he takes the bread and he blesses the bread and he breaks the bread and he gives the bread and then they recognize him. There's this flash of recognition and then he's gone, but the bread remains. And they said, oh, did not our hearts burn within us? We should have known. Our heart was burning in our heart, not our head. Not we weren't thinking new thoughts we'd never had, but something was happening in our heart. Oh, we've got to run back and tell everybody. Their disappointment was healed. And then Jesus heals Peter's shameful sense of failure. And that's the most beautiful one of all, isn't it? Do you love me? You know I do. Do you love me? Yes, yes. Do you really love me? Oh, that hurts, but yes, Lord, you know all things. You know I do. Jesus, all right. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, and follow me. And Peter's back in the game. He's restored. He's healed. Notice that these showings occur in places we might associate with contemplation, with quiet reflection, with silence and solitude. They occur in a quiet garden. They occur during a long walk. They occur by a lake in the early morning. If you're looking for some Jesus showings in your life, Maybe you just need some more gardens, lakes, and long walks. He's probably not going to show up on Instagram. I don't want to start. I don't want to be like that. I'm not trying to scold you. I'm just saying maybe you do really need some more gardens, lakes, and long walks or whatever that expression is for you. You can't schedule a showing. 
You can't say, okay, Jesus, let me look at my calendar. I'll see Thursday, Thursday at 2 p.m. I've only got 45 minutes, but can you squeeze it in? It doesn't work like that. You can't, you can't schedule a Jesus showing to you. What you can do is become more open to them. Become more open to them. If you would like some more Jesus showings in your life, this is my suggestion. First of all, ask. You have not because you ask not. This is a simple sermon. Ask. Ask Jesus to show himself to you. Lord Jesus, show yourself to me. He can't schedule it. Doesn't mean it's going to come right. Oh, there you are. (laughs) Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. In other words, pray. Just pray. Just, Just begin to pray this week. Lord, show yourself to me. Show yourself to me in new ways. Show me yourself where I need to see. Jesus, come and ask me the questions that need to be asked. That's the first thing. First thing is just ask. Second thing is inhabit some contemplative times and places. That's why I'm stressing gardens, lakes, and long walks. Of course, that may, none of those things may apply to you, but you get what I'm saying. Inhabit some contemplative spaces and time where a lot of the distractions are buffered, where there's a bit of solitude, where it's a little bit quiet. Inhabit whatever for you is the garden, the lake, or the long walk. So you're you're open, you're giving some space, you're you're creating the potential for a showing. And then finally, pay attention to your interior life. Get out of your head. Get out of your head and... (laughs) Settle down here a little bit. We're still so many of us stuck up inside our head trying to figure out everything. And we have to live a certain amount of our life in that cognitive process of figuring things out. But I don't think it's really where Jesus is going to show himself to you. Did not our hearts burn within us? Begin to pay attention to the interior life where your heart is sensing certain things because the heart, the spirit, is the organ that has the capacity for direct encounter with the risen Christ who now fills all things everywhere with himself. And here's my promise. Here's my promise to you and my promise to you that are online. I promise this week, I'm gonna pray for you all every day that Jesus would show himself to you. Now help facilitate the answer to this prayer by you also, Jesus, show yourself to me. Find your garden, lake, or long walk and then begin to pay attention to the interior life. Amen. Stand up with me. Before we offer our prayer of confession in preparation for coming to the table of the Lord, I want to pray our prayer for this week. You know, it's right there on your bulletin. Take it home with you. Stick it in your Bible. I'm sure online they'll post it and you can find it. This is the prayer that we're praying all week and it's very apropos. I pray, oh God, 
whose blessed son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread. Open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Now join me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.